0: Regarding cocaine, I think it's the second biggest in South Africa, second or third biggest in South Africa, but uh, the other two were just over a 10. So this will be the, as far as my knowledge, is, this is the second biggest
1: one. You're sitting with all of the cocaine, and there are other people that are waiting for this cocaine, powerful people, people who are not afraid to use violence. Not even against senior police officers.
2: Since the dawn of international trade, South Africa's shores have acted as a halfway point for traders, a place to restock, trade, and move on. Not much has changed for drug cartels around the world, except perhaps what is being traded. Welcome to The Cape of Cocaine, a special four-part serial podcast production by Arena Holdings which investigates the reach of the Bulgarian Mafia's cocaine routes into South Africa. Join us every week for the next month as we pull apart the tangled web of underhand dealings, intricate police investigations, violence and unprecedented court cases which have accompanied the expansion of Bulgarian Mafia's operations into South Africa. This week, we talk about the 600 million rand bust by the Western Cape Organized Crime Narcotics Unit that opened the lid on the can of worms that is the Bulgarian drug trade in South Africa. I am your host, Oren Singh. To make sure you never miss an episode of Cape of Cocaine, please subscribe for free episodes of Boots on the Ground podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like our show, Please take a second to leave us a review on your streaming app. This will help more people find and enjoy the show. Through the high powered lenses from the observation post, a small team of investigators from the South African Police Service's Western Cape Organized Crime Narcotics Unit sit and watch the same area they have been surveying for weeks. Their little sliver of arid, hilly terrain overlooking Saldana Bay Harbour is lashed by waves from the icy Atlantic Ocean and the mist which makes its incursions onto the land on cold days like today. It's noon, the 1st of March 2021. The target was supposed to arrive days ago. Months of planning, years of work, thousands of arrests for possession of tiny amounts of white powder. Arrests made during traffic stops, raids on nightclubs, domestic disputes, fights and drug raids and the odd drug bust. A thousand moving parts. Countless hours of manpower spent by thinly stretched crime intelligence officers doing the sensitive work of recruiting sources. The risks those sources take get the information it all hangs in the balance now and with each passing minute the adrenaline gives way to fatigue and doubt is the moment for which these men and women have sacrificed long cold nights away from home strained their relationships with their families missed their son's debut for the school rugby first team the ballet recital the graduation for which they have risked their careers, rubbing up senior management the wrong way, begging for the resources they need, or simply taking them. And in this moment, the prize, at the end of all this sacrifice, seems to be slipping through their fingers. The target is three days overdue. Some of the team members have slept as little as 40 minutes in three days. Then, out of the mist, a familiar sight, A lady they have had their eyes on for some time, the Windward, a 250 ton, 35 meter ship painted in white, green and red. She is owned by the Bulgarian mafia and inside her is a ton of cocaine. She docks but no one gets out and no one approaches her, she just stands there. Strike too early and the targets may not be there. Strike too late and they have left with the stash. Sitting behind the binoculars with a radio in his hand and waiting to give the order to strike, a section commander of the Western Cape Organised Crime Narcotics Unit, Lieutenant Colonel Johan Smith, with weeks of surveillance on the line, Smith explains how the decision to move was made on that fateful evening. With
0: narcotics, is difficult because you cannot anticipate what the movement of the suspects going to be. You can never plan ahead and say this is exactly what we're going to do. So It all depends on the actions of the people involved, the suspects, because that will give you guidance in what to do, what will be your next move. And this is what happened here, they moored, we had to first observe what's going on. When we noticed that the four main suspects were in the area from the previous day, we monitored their movement, they visited the boat, they moved away, and when they came back to the boat and their actions actually gave us an indication that this is, there's a possibility that some of the stuff might be removed from the vessel. You must bear in mind, they could keep it on the vessel for another week, another month, two months. So how long were we going to sit there? Um, They can move small quantities in the backpacks off. And we knew that all the suspects we identified were on the vessel. So they were with the consignment. So that's why we decided that's the best time to do it. And that's why
2: we approached the vessel. Suddenly a cell phone rings, a surveillance team. With eyes on the property, where a group of Bulgarian men have been living in the coastal town of Saldana for weeks, has reported movement. More teams are activated to follow the men as they get into cars and drive towards the harbour. Unmarked vehicles tail the cars down a winding road toward the pier. According to police information, they're about to make one of the biggest cocaine busts in South African history. Regarding cocaine, I think it's
0: the second biggest in South Africa, second or third biggest in South Africa, but uh, the other two were just over a ton. So, this will
2: be the, as far as my knowledge is, this is the second biggest one. Pure and uncut, the cocaine is only just beginning the transitional cocaine journey from the clandestine drug labs in South America's jungles. They pull up near the ship on the pier. The men climb out and board the ship. But then cars start leaving again. No one dares breathe. Are we too late? Are we too early? Then the decision is made. The order is sent over cell phone and radio to raid the ship.
0: The members were on route to the vessel. Two of the Bulgarians, got off the vessel and uh, got into one of the vehicles and they were about to leave so we had to block them and uh, detain them and then the vessel, the members boarded the vessel where after the other two Bulgarian nationals as well as the Myanmar crew members were found still in the front castle busy moving the consignment of narcotics Um, they were all arrested and in total there was uh, 973 uh, blocks of cocaine, which weighed just over 972 kilograms, with uh, an estimated street value, um, in that condition, not whether if you used cutting agent to increase the volume, but that, as it was there,
2: um, of a minimum of 583 million rand. Asen Georgiev Ivanov the general manager of the Bulgarian syndicates southern hemisphere cocaine operation has also been waiting for him and his organization the stakes are high keeping tabs on three ships used to get the cocaine from the fringes of the Amazon rainforest to South Africa's west coast is a delicate operation the crews all overseen by Bulgarian syndicate members need to be carefully watched They may be poor desperate vulnerable and from countries with atrocious human rights records like Myanmar, but the slightest whisper from any single crewman to the authorities of any nation could cause massive damage. The arrest of the associates in Peru just three years before with hundreds of kilograms of cocaine is a present reminder of how badly things can go. It has taken Ivanov six months to secure nearly 600 million rand in cocaine from the cartels operating clandestine labs in the jungles of South America. But the syndicate has built up a rapport with the South American cartels who produce the cocaine. It is how they've managed to operate a fleet of ships running drug operations across the Atlantic and Indian oceans. In South Africa, where they have a notable base of operations, they have operated unnoticed, just like in a dozen other countries, or so they believed. Arun Hyman is an investigative reporter for Times Live, and he's been tracking the Bulgarian Mafia's cartel routes in the SA since this bust. He has been getting to know the operations and players intimately, in some cases a bit more intimately than he would like, often facing threats and intimidation the South African police investigators knew
1: that there were large-scale cocaine smuggling operations because they could see the cocaine on the streets with the users and the addicts. They could see the lower-level cocaine dealers, um, who they would apprehend from time to time, and perhaps they could even get into the distribution networks. These guys are the dark, shadowy figures that are portrayed in fictional crime thrillers. They are the They are the guys teams of detectives know exist, but never have a face or a name for. They are nearly at the very top of these criminal hierarchies. It takes a long time, more resources than the South African Police Service have available for even their biggest operations. A coherent policing policy that lasts across uh, cabinets, across presidencies, And more patience than the South African government has. A a dwindling number of competent officers are being pulled from investigation after investigation uh, by the top brass to respond to crisis after crisis. In other words, they don't have teams that are able to sit for long enough on a single investigation to make the sort of headway that you need to Go after the very top hierarchy, these shadowy figures that we know exist, but that we don't know who they are. We don't know, um, we don't have a face for them. So even in terms of the very best international standards, Conducting an operation against a sophisticated operation like this it takes years of surveillance and intelligence gathering, and the smuggling operation itself was extremely sophisticated. You have a fleet of ships, and very few people, even within the organized crime group, would have the full picture. It might only be one or two guys um, who know exactly what's going on with this fleet, and who the crews are and who's working on what and what they're paying for, which shipment of cocaine and on which date it's going to arrive and which ship they're going to use. You would have to know exactly which ship to look for and when to look for it. Otherwise, it would be like looking for a specific piece of straw in a haystack. The information came from someone who trusted Colonel Smith's integrity and his professionalism. And it came from people who put in years of work, but they knew that it would have to be the South Africans who would need to do the takedown because South Africa was the one stop on the smuggling route with pockets of excellence in its semi-functional government structures. And um, without elaborating too much, the sources of this information were um, foreign and they were of um, an intelligence community um, nature, if I can put it that way.
2: By noon on the 1st of March, Ivanov, the owner of the Windward and general manager of the Bulgarian Syndicate Southern Hemisphere cocaine operation, must have been wondering, where is my damn ship? A new crew had arrived from Myanmar and they would have to become familiar with the ship. So in the weeks leading up to their rendezvous with the mothership, they went through sea trials in order to make sure the ship is seaworthy and that the crew is familiar with its operation.
1: Basically, this ship had just been overhauled at Cape Town Harbour um, and more than that, they were getting a brand new crew from Myanmar who would have to become familiar with, with the ship and they had to test it in, in the waters um, around Saldana Bay just before uh, they were going to uh, pick up this
2: cocaine um, in the high seas. In order to remain invisible to tracking systems or satellites, the cocaine-hauling crew would switch off their Automated Identification System, or AIS, before heading into international waters. This AIS gives anyone access to your live location, as long as it is active. But the Cape of Storms rarely plays fair with sailors. When the day arrived for them to go and meet the mothership carrying the cocaine, they sailed into unseasonably rough seas. Bad weather and a thick fog further hindered their voyage. Upon return, they were unable to get access to a port pilot to bring them safely into port. Blind and inexperienced with the features of the west coast, the crew slowly crept through the fog along the shoreline of the entrance to Sultana Bay. When they arrived at port, an operation started, which the members of the Bulgarian drug syndicate had repeated many times before the 1st of March 2021.
1: They would have known what to do when the ship arrived at port. Uh, Some of the cocaine was encased in concrete enclosures that they'd they'd sealed the cocaine in these enclosures. They would just pack them out and, you know, I'm sure in their minds it was a simple operation. Just come, break open these concrete blocks, unload the cocaine put it onto uh, the vehicles, drive out of there and uh, sip mojitos in 24 hours somewhere in Camps Bay and know that their product is going to be shipped off to Australia, where they were going to rake in hundreds of millions of dollars.
2: The monotony was broken by the sudden storming of the police special task force members and the Western Cape Organized Crime Narcotics Unit investigators. Ivanov, the windward's owner, knew the instant he heard the cacophony of orders barked at them all at once by voices of authority and the sounds of boots rushing by men carrying submachine guns that somewhere, something had gone horribly wrong. Someone messed up and for the first time ever, their highly proficient, powerful and secret organization was exposed to a level of scrutiny which now threatens to topple a global crime empire. The ship's captain and his crew left Myanmar for what they thought was work on a ship transporting armed guards. They probably knew when they were transferring the black 1kg packets with the logo King Coca printed on them that this was no guard ship. But when the Special Task Force men stormed the ship, Captain Chao Chao Han and his crew's fears were confirmed. However, Ivanov and his associates, Mario Vasev, Borislav Stoyanov, Atanasov, and Atanas Bikov were oblivious and stunned. When the police found them in the hull of the ship, they were unpacking the contents of cocaine from a space in the hull where fishing equipment used to be stored. Investigators found that the syndicate concealed half a ton of cocaine in a compartment encased in a layer of concrete covered with a layer of thick black construction plastic and then encased in another layer of concrete.
0: Remember we were many years ago we were the, this was the route sailing route from Europe to Asia and back. It's the same. There is, we found seizures, for example, where containers went to Port Elizabeth, from Port Elizabeth to Cape Town. In Cape Town, we found it hidden in the container panels, cocaine. Um, yes, South Africa, the harbors, the way where it's situated, the huge coastline, it's making it difficult to detect certain vessels uh, to keep Tracked on each and every vessel, so yes, but it's being used as a
2: transit point, yes. This method of concealment would likely throw off any sniffer dog. The rest of the cocaine was stashed inside a diesel fuel tank, also in the hull of the ship. The find is interesting. If they had arrived too early, they may have only found some of the cocaine and none of the Bulgarian syndicate members. But fortune shone down on the investigators. The Bulgarians had already broken open the concrete and were busy transferring the bricks from the compartments into tog bags bought from Chinatown. If they had arrived too late, these men would have been gone. It would be a win for the syndicate and a devastating loss for investigators. Right. Pictures from the scene show the bricks of cocaine stacked next to each other. The 973 bricks are almost the length of the ship. It's quite interesting. These um,
1: crews seem to come from Myanmar and I'm not quite sure why they specifically chose Myanmar as the, the origin of their crews. I actually spoke with, um, let's call him a source, somebody who was very familiar with uh, how their fleet worked. And this person had actually helped them to to set up uh, several aspects of their fleet, not knowing that they were running a cocaine operation. Um, He thought that they were just uh, running sort of armed escorts in the troubled waters of the world, Um, places like Somalia where they had a a floating armory uh, just off the coast uh, in the Red Sea. Basically a place where mercenaries could come and restock on, on supplies, on RPGs, grenades, ammo, that sort of stuff. Um, So they were looking for a cheap crew, and Myanmar is a seafaring nation. They've apparently got very good sailors, and these are hard-working people who don't mind earning their buck um, on long voyages around the world. And I mean, I'm pretty sure along with that, uh, you probably have People that are relatively desperate, it's not a very wealthy country, and they just had a coup uh, last year, which (laughs) the timing of this whole operation was very bad for the sailors who were eventually arrested because they weren't sure that embassy staff uh, from Myanmar were going to be recalled back to Myanmar after there was a a military coup. They didn't know whether that would mean that they would be stranded in South Africa, maybe not even be citizens of a country that exists anymore. As far as uh, my understanding of, of how it worked is that they were recruited. They thought they were going to work on a, what is called a guard vessel. This could be a ship that patrols around oil rigs in the middle of the ocean and, um, and make sure that it's like a, like a sea going security guard ship, basically. And that there might be one or two armed guys on the ship who are basically contracted to do normal security checks. And, you know, they <laughs> pretty sure they found they would have probably found it slightly suspicious when they came to Saldaña and you know met with the people that they met. But you're a you're a crew that's employed to do a job, and I guess you do it to the best of your ability and try to close your eyes when uh, you see certain things that that uh, you know aren't aren't um, that kosher. I think if you 12 kilometers out at sea and uh, people are unloading a thousand bricks of cocaine onto your vessel. That's not the place to strike up an argument. Um, <laughs> vessels go missing uh, all the time. Uh, and you can imagine the captain of this crew was probably like, um, let, let me try and get my me and my crew back home safely. And we can talk about this another day. Um, let's just get back to, to land. Um, so yeah they the the mafia itself um worked with um a third party, if you could call it that um I spoke with this person, this third party, and well the third party was quite surprised to hear firstly that. The person who we were talking about, um, had a different name. He knew him by a different name. And also that this person was uh, running a cocaine smuggling operation. Um, they at least, um, told me that they have no idea. Um, and they would, this this person would go and help them recruit crews from Myanmar and would help them register ships um, in countries all across the world.
2: The investigators leave nothing to chance. Fueled with the Red Bull and the taste of success, members of the narcotics team personally transport the cocaine to the police forensic laboratories in Plattekloof, north of the Cape Town city centre. The hour and a half long drive down the N7 highway running between Cape Town and Namibia, with only one or two small towns between, is empty, ghostly almost. It's nearly midnight, the sleep-deprived investigators are in disbelief. The waning moon still shines on the wilderness around them. On the horizon around them, it's too dark to know where the Earth ends and space begins. It can be easy to slip into sleep on a road like this, on a night like tonight. If the car rolls now, the cocaine would scatter all over the road. Imagine the fiasco. It would all be for nothing. The driver of the vehicle carrying the cocaine thinks to himself. The thought sends shivers down his spine. He grips the wheel and steals himself against instincts to sleep.
1: These guys had just made one of the biggest drug finds in South African history. And as we know, cocaine um, smuggling traditionally, historically, has had to do with conflict. Conflict to the point that um, somebody like Pablo Escobar had almost, you know, tried to take over the government of Colombia. And... Um, and since then, there've been many more crazy uh, cases of of how the world's cocaine mafias work. It's it's these guys have immense power, due to the fact that the product that they're smuggling is, is it's so expensive it gets them so much money and with all of that money you can buy quite a lot of influence you can buy influence in governments you know you can buy off um, corrupt officials in countries with, with high corruption so uh, these cops uh, the, they had taken months to build an operation very very delicate very sensitive operation i mean if there was even one person in the south african police service who had found out about this operation who was a bit crooked they could have gone to to this organisation and um and tipped them off you are being investigated you are being looked at this is the individual these are the investigating officers who are busy investigating you and you can imagine that when these guys get there, crops are killed in South Africa all the time. they unpacking all of this cocaine. They know that they need to get this. They, they didn't even trust uh, the local police station to keep this cocaine there even for one night. They just knew that this cocaine has a, li- a, a high likelihood of um, growing feet and um, and going missing. And, you know, they would be right. If you look at what happened in Port Shepston, I think it was 500 million rands worth of cocaine went missing from the Hawks offices. In Colonel Smith's mind, he said, well, we need to personally... Oversee this cocaine's transportation to the forensic labs where you've got a much bigger chance of it being kept safely. There's much better surveillance and much better security over there. Now they're getting into their cars. They haven't slept in three days. Um, they are... Piped up on adrenaline, and um, if anybody's ever driven the long west coast road from Saldanha Bay to Cape Town, it's a it's a lonely road at the best of times, and you can imagine at one one a.m. in the morning, um, the beautiful night sky. You in the surreal world of investigating organisations that most people don't even know exist, and you sitting with all of their cocaine. And there are other people that are waiting for this cocaine. Powerful people. People who are not afraid to use violence. Not even against senior police officers um, of the South African Police Service. People like Colonel Smith and these guys. They're dispensable. So they're driving along this highway. And the slightest thing can go wrong. They can fall asleep at the wheel. Um, imagine the fiasco rolling a police bucky with all of this cocaine scattered all over the all over the field in the middle of nowhere it 's an immense weight of responsibility on on Colonel Smith and this small team of guys.
2: The laboratory does normally work after hours, but when the narcotics unit calls, they make a plan. The police vans drive into the underground parking. When the security gates are shut, the cocaine is unloaded to a secure area. Their job is done for now. Tomorrow the paperwork. But for now, the sleep which has eluded them for so long is a welcomed guest. No, he's welcome.
0: welcome. Gentlemen, you may be seated.
1: I met the Bulgarians in court on three March. uh, twenty twenty one. The Freedenburg Magistrates Court consists of a small courthouse uh, with shipping containers as annexes for more courtrooms. The sight of a prosecutor is sitting next to a magistrate and suspects and victims all squashed into shipping containers it's it's a comical reminder of how under resourced or dare I say dysfunctional South Africa's justice system is in some places. Today, however, we are in the big courtroom, built in a time when there were a lot fewer people living in the west coast town of Fredenberg, less crime too. Vasev is the first to enter. His bald forehead folds into many lines as he peers at photographers, while keeping his head bowed to hide his face. Next is Ivanov, then Atanasov, who has decided to use his COVID-19 mask to cover most of his face, uh, including his eyes. Uh, Then there's Bikov. The lawyers who arrive are some of Cape Town's best criminal attorneys. They ask me not to name them, and I don't. Um, Underworld figures take note of which lawyers represent their rivals. To them, it's a signal of where the money comes from. And in Cape Town's current climate, where lawyers are killed for representing certain people, their request is justified. To mitigate the mess they have created for themselves and the organization of Bulgarian nationals operating various illicit revenue generators in South Africa, they are trying to negotiate a swift and quiet resolution, even if that means negotiating a 15-year jail sentence through a plea and sentencing deal with the state. They decided not to go through a bail process. I was quite surprised by that. Instead, they opted to remain in custody. The state would have opposed the application in any case, and if the investigating officers would have to testify, they would further expose um, this network and their ongoing operations. And besides, their crack team of lawyers
2: come at a steep price Uh, That's a price paid for silence. But, of course, this group has left a trail of breadcrumbs, leading investigative journalists into the dark woods of the Bulgarian underworld. The drug bust exposed a syndicate which operates beyond borders and without the limits of conventions which govern the lives of ordinary people. Join us next week while we try to figure out how the Bulgarian mafia operated on international seas with impunity up to this point, where they are, and whether South Africa is the end location, or are we just a halfway post to a bigger market? I hope that
0: they will get the message and, um, sorry for other countries, but divert their activities to somewhere else
2: for free future episodes be sure to subscribe on spotify apple podcast wherever you get your podcasts if you like our show take a second to leave us a review on your streaming app this will help more people find and enjoy the show cape of cocaine a special four-part investigation is brought to you by arena holdings this podcast is narrated by aaron Singh. investigations for this podcast were conducted by senior investigations reporter aaron hyman script writing by aaron hyman Sound, design and editing by Paige Muller, executive production by Nikki Gulesh, publishing by the Sunday Times and Times Live Investigations.